Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer R. Levin, and I'm a traumatic grief therapist and founder of Therapy Heals, where we help organizations and individuals prepare and heal from sudden or unexpected death. And in my podcast, Untethered, Healing the Pain from Sudden Death, I share resources and stories to help you go from the chaos of sudden or unexpected death to move towards healing in your life. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Untethered, Healing the Pain from a Sudden Death. I'm Dr. Jennifer Levin, and I specialize in traumatic death and helping individuals through the struggles, pain, trauma, and chaos of an unexpected death. In today's podcast, I interview mother and son, Betty and Joey Dowling, and we explore the concept of cumulative grief. When someone experiences multiple deaths, one right after another, we refer to this phenomenon as cumulative grief because there is not time to process the grief from one loss before the grief from the next one sets in. All of the sudden, the emotions and the grief from each death start to blend together. Today, Betty and Joey share the story of the sudden death of Betty's husband and Joey's father, Tom, and then later, the expected deaths of Betty's two son and Joey's brothers, Kevin and Eric, who later died less than two years apart. We talk about some of the differences Betty and Joey noted in their grief when the death was sudden versus anticipated and what it has been like for them to continue living and healing after so much loss. Betty and Joey, thank you so much for being here today and I'm so glad to have you. Why don't you start off by introducing yourself? My name is Betty Dowling. Yeah, I'm a mom of four, um, widow for 15 years. Okay. I like to work out. I like to read. I like to be in the sun, you know, and just kind of hang out with my family and friends. Okay. Joey, what about you? Yeah, so I'm Joey Dowling, um, and I am 29 years old, um, live up in the Santa Barbara area um, with my girlfriend and two of our pups. Um, nice little family over here. And yeah, same thing. Just love being outdoors, love doing um, activities outside, hiking, biking, stuff in the water. Um, and yeah. Well, great. So as you know, this is the first time I've ever interviewed two people at the same time on my podcast, and I'm delighted to have you both with me today. And I know our listeners are truly going to benefit from the two different perspectives from the same family. And um, from those who haven't figured it out, we have a mother and son here today. Um, And you can hear Winnie in the background barking because she's uh, delighted that you're here as well. So unfortunately, um, your family has experienced quite a lot of grief. You've both experienced both sudden and and expected deaths within a short period of time and over a expanded period of time. 
And when an individual or family experiences multiple losses right after one another, we refer to this as cumulative grief because there's not a lot of time to process one loss before the next one happens. And the emotions and the grief from one death uh, blends into the next. And so I really appreciate your willingness and your courage to talk about what your family has experienced and to share your stories today. So Betty, let's start with you. Can you share what happened when your husband, Tom, uh, died suddenly back in 2008? It was unexpected because I didn't think it would happen. I mean, he'd been sick for a while, but he'd always pulled out. I mean, it was, it was, you know, it, we were in the hospital and then we were home and we were living our life for the longest time. I mean, we went about life like there was no cancer in it. Um, the last time we went in the hospital, I just thought it was going to be another short jaunt. You know, he needed some fluids or, you know, needed a little extra nourishment or something. But I mean, he was in the hospital for a week and I still, that was furthest thing from my mind was that he was not going to come home with me. And, um, that night it was, I, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was just, I kept saying, what is going on? What is going on? This is, this is not happening. And even the nurses around me said, no, his count, his vitals are fine. His can his labs are fine. Everything's fine. He's going to be fine. But it was just that. I don't know, some point I noticed he was leaving us. You know, he had been kind of out of it for a long time and and not really talking or anything, but it was it was different. It was different at that time. And then, you know, the doctors come in and then it's like make the decision, you know, to do the heroics and stuff and it's like we had never talked about that. I mean, we were still a young couple. We, you know, had four young children and we were still, um, you know, planning our lives that we never had that hard discussion. So it was like it came down to where I needed to make a decision that I didn't feel I could. And, um, you know, bottom line was I knew he would not want to be on a ventilator. I knew he wouldn't want to be hooked up to machines and stuff and and you know after talking to the doctor we you know kind of just said he's he's fought the fight fought the fight I'm sorry fought the fight and um it was to me it came out of the blue I never in a million years thought that he was not going to be we were not going to grow old together What do you remember most about what your grief was like after he died unexpectedly? You know, I was, I was, I, I was numb. I was um, trying to be strong for my kids. I didn't want them to have to take care of me. I was supposed to be taking care of them. So I was putting on the brave face. Um, had a tremendous amount of family and friends that came by and just helped and took, I mean, they kind of took care of 
things that I just, I don't, that first month is kind of like a fog. I really don't, I mean, I remember, but it was like, I was just kind of going through the motions. You know, everything was getting taken care of. People, you know, like I said, great family, great friends were taking care of things. And um, I didn't really have to make the heart, you know, too many decisions, which to me was, I was so grateful for, because I don't think I could make a lot of decisions at that time. Um, I was concerned about my kids. I just wanted to be strong for them. And it was, and that was a hard part because, sorry, Harley's running. (laughs) Um, I, you know, I just, I just, you know, my thoughts just turned to, and I, and it probably was easier for me was just to focus on my, my kids, my family, (coughs) excuse me, my, my immediate families and just to try to be strong for them, try to be there for them, try to have the conversations when they wanted to have the conversations. Um, Sometimes we fought Um, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it it was, I think it was just trying to understand, you know, why this was happening. This shouldn't have been happening. Absolutely. It shouldn't have happened. Joey, you were 13 at the time your dad died. What do you remember about that time? Um, yeah, I was. 13 I remember being pretty young um you know definitely at that age I was thinking about like being out with my friends and going skateboarding going to the movies and everything and occupying my time with that and like I definitely can see everything that was going on at home I could see my kind my dad um kind of deteriorating and that's definitely tough to see um as a young boy too, just like, who cool. I'm looking up to my dad my whole life. And then all of a sudden he starts getting extremely weak and starts not looking like how he used to and everything. And, um, I remember kind of being sheltered from it for a long time because, because I was young, I feel like I wasn't really hearing everything that was going on. Um, and then that night, um, I remember being at the movies. Um, I was watching, I think it was Drill Bit Taylor. Um, and then I get a call from my sister and she was crying saying, I need to get to the hospital. My aunt's going to come and pick me up. Um, and so get in the car, go there. But even on the way there, I never, I could tell something was wrong, but I never really crossed my mind that this was going to be it. Um, and so, like, driving all the way there felt like a really long drive and then getting there and walking in and seeing my mom um she was just in tears and everything and she walked up to me and said uh dad's not gonna make it and that's kind of when it like hit me like wow this is this is really serious um and then so kind of just like walked into his bedside and I remember just kneeling down there and just praying um um yeah just like praying for a miracle or something um 
And then we were there for a while. And eventually it was just kind of, this part was always weird to me, just kind of like time to go kind of thing. It's like say goodbye and then just go home. And um, that was kind of it. And so that was always really hard for me to grasp was like, just like, okay, we're just leaving him right now here. Um, yeah. 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 It's got to be something so hard for a 13-year-old to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So how did your dad's death change your family? Um, initially, kind of like what my mom has said, we we're all kind of figuring out ways to understand it and deal with it. Um, we all kind of had our own ways. Um, there were definitely some rough patches in the beginning, um, you know, with like arguments and just fighting with each other and just being really like on edge for a while. Um, and I remember my brother, Kevin, he took it really hard. He was, um, he was kind of quiet for a long, long time. And, um, eventually we all started kind of like coming together. Um, and I don't know, it's kind of funny, like looking back, like it almost made our family stronger and closer because, um, like my mom, she had said she wanted to come together for the kids and everything, but it was also like all of us kids wanted to come together for her and make it as easy as possible um, and not kind of add any more pain to our family and kind of just like get by and try to live our lives how we could with our new new normal now. Yeah. What were some of the things that, and this is for both of you, what were some of the things that you did as a family to cope? Buy dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, getting adopt, dogs. Adopt some dogs. <laughs> Your dog's um, running around tonight. Mine's barking. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I, I made a point to do was, you know, as soon as we could, that summer is just to go away as a family, just the five of us and just, just be us together without it. Cause we had so many people coming and going and, and, you know, just surrounding us, which is what we needed, but we also needed our time with just each other. And, um, and so I remember we went, I just took him up to Palm Springs for the weekend and um, it was, you know, it was out of, it was out of our element. It was a new place. It, it, we just, we kind of just let loose and we had a good time. I, we had fun that weekend. Yeah. And it was just, you know, family became more important to us. We, you know, we would rather be together as a family and do things. And, um, you know, you know, with four kids, there's a lot going on all the time, whether you have death in your family or not, there's just, everybody's going in different directions, but there was a lot of, of support and stuff. So that was always nice. And, and, and I always felt that we were very fortunate. I mean, you know, this 
could have gone the other way. We could have, you know, totally gone in our own directions and, and just lost touch with each other. But like Joey said, we, we really came together and we were stronger as a family unit than we were before. Yeah. Joey, did you want to add anything? Yeah. Kind of just like piggybacking off of that. Just, I remember that first year after for his birthday, we all just kind of did a little family day trip up here to Santa Barbara. This is before I moved here, obviously. Um, and just kind of hung out here up at the beach for a little bit. Cause I remember that's where him and my mom used to come, uh, every once in a while. And so just like little things like that of just like doing stuff together as a family in a place where it kind of like had a deeper meaning, um, definitely helped some of those harder days. Yeah. One of the things I've talked about so often with guests on this podcast is how a sudden or unexpected death just can change your priorities. And it talks about listening to you both, just family became so much more important and even, and even stronger. So, yeah. Now, eight years later, your son, Kevin was diagnosed with cancer in 2016 Betty, tell us about his diagnosis and what was this like for you? Actually, he was diagnosed with a different form of cancer in 2010. Okay, two years later. Yeah. Wow, okay. And and that was found actually by mistake. And I thought that was a blessing because we found it so quickly. And he um, recovered and everything, you know, I think, he did chemo for a year and a half and, and he was fine. I mean, he never really missed a beat, but then around 2016, he was complaining of pain and, you know, my thing, and part of me after Tom's death and diagnosis and death and everything, it's like, I would, any time the kids would say something like, I've got a pain here. And it was, it was like my initial reaction was, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I, I don't want it. I don't want to know. But then it's like, well, go to the doctor, you know, and, and he was old enough to do his own appointments and stuff. And he went to the doctor and, um, you know, they're trying to figure it out. They were trying to figure out what was going on. And, and I remember, <laughs> oh, I got to love him. We were having a barbecue in the backyard he was coaching. He liked it. He was a, he was a football coach at the high school here. And we were having the coaches over. It was getting kick off the season. So we were having the coaches over for a barbecue and everything. And before they got here, he goes, they found a tumor mom. People are going to arrive in 10 minutes. And he's telling me this. And I know it was his way of no, just getting it out there and not having to deal with any more questions. I know that. But I was like, I was, I, I didn't know what to say. I was, you know, I have people coming over. I have to pretend everything's wonderful for the, for everybody. And, and, and I have to act like he didn't tell me. And, um, and so that was hard. That was the hard part. And then once we got through that, you know, he still had to, go for the biopsy and everything. And it was, 
God love insurance. Um, it took a while to be able to get the biopsy. And so we finally got a biopsy. And then by the time we got the biopsy, we hadn't had the results yet. He got really bad and we had to hospitalize him. And actually at that point was when um, things started moving pretty quickly. And he, um, you know, finally got the right people on board, finally got the case manager. I mean, it, it was like it took a hospitalization to get things moving so we can figure out what is actually going on with him. Because up until then, we all we knew is it was a tumor. It could have been benign. It could have been, you know, we're just going to remove it. It's going to be fine. Or unfortunately for, for him, it was not. And um, it was... <laughs> That was when the roller coaster ride started. And we just, you know, for a year in and out of the hospital, trying to figure out, trying to keep him comfortable, trying to go through chemo. Um, things are going good and then they're not. And um, I remember one doctor, when I was in the hospital with him, um, came and he was. I know he thought he was doing good and he was being very compassionate, but I was so angry with him. He came and he goes, you know, I've lost a son too. And I looked at him. And I said, I'm not losing him. Sorry. This is not happening. again." And so, um, so need to say, I didn't see that doctor again. And um, you know, we just we just all rallied around Kevin. We just, you know, tried to be strong for him. I mean, he had a lot of good days, but I want to say that was so fast. And and even though I knew the outcome wasn't going to be good, it's like I would not let myself say it and even all the way up until you know the doctor had the hard conversation with us I didn't want to believe it and then I remember we went to the hospital to be with him and everything was fine. He was fine. We were having a good time. The boys, we were joking with the boys. We were there. He was clowning around with his brothers like he always did. Where, you know, it was Kevin. It was our old Kevin. And then the next morning, his girlfriend calls and says, you need to get here now. And then it was just a vigil for, felt like months, but it was a week. And I felt, I didn't want to leave his side, which I didn't. But I felt like we were just waiting for him to die. And I didn't, I didn't want him to think that we were giving up on him ever. So 
that was kind of sucky. Yes, it was. Joey, what was that like for you? Yeah, Kevin's um, Kevin's passing was very tough um, on me, on all of us, because um, it, it definitely rehashed a lot of those emotions. Um, and definitely leading up to even Kevin's first diagnosis, we were extremely close. Um, yeah, we would spend a lot of time together. Um, he was that... Um, He was that cool older brother, um, you know, that would let me hang out with him, tag along with him and everything. And uh, we had a lot of fun together. And then um, him going through the first diagnosis, um, I wasn't too worried just because he never really looked physically ill like he definitely was going through treatment and everything but I don't know a lot of um, a lot of people know like chemo really takes a toll on your body um and it com can completely change in appearance and everything and um so with that first one I I always was very confident with him like okay he's got this he's gonna beat this no problem um and then that second one everything happened so fast and it, and it got so bad so fast. And, um, you know, just like things that were happening with his body, like I didn't even know were possible. Um, and just like, almost like scrambling, trying to like catch it and get ahead of it before it gets like even worse than it already had. Um, and so that was, extremely tough to see but it was kind of that same thing during that time like you don't want to show him that like you're nervous for it or you're scared or anything no you just want to like be confident in front of him and want him to be confident and um so it's just like day after day just like trying to get through that day and everything and like we had a really good support system his girlfriend was amazing she was so helpful throughout the whole process um like i don't know how things would have gone without her but she was amazing um and yeah i just remember that that day uh i was coaching because I, I would coach with him um and I remember just getting a call from my mom again saying I need to get to the hospital um don't know how much time and I remember going there I think it was that Saturday and he was 
he seemed okay. Like we were talking, we were having fun. I remember we were watching this. There was a YouTube channel called Hot Ones where they eat hot wing, hot wings um, and do interview questions. It was always really funny. Um, and we were watching that and having a good time. And then I left that day, and then all of a sudden the next morning he's just out of it and things had really taken a turn for the worse and they pretty much said like this is it and so we like just called everyone like we didn't know what to do um we didn't know if like we should have everybody come say goodbye or give him his space or like because like you don't know what to do in that situation um And that it was a very, very long week, um, just sitting by his side, not wanting to leave at all. Yeah. And then, yeah, eventually it happened. Yeah. And then the most unbelievable thing in the world is that your other son, Eric, was also diagnosed and it was the same type of cancer? Exactly the same. In 2017? Mm-hmm, that's when he was diagnosed. And then what year did he die? 2018. So again, it just really fast. And I, I, that's just, I mean, to me, just, it just are no words and what went through your mind when he was first diagnosed with that cancer? I couldn't believe it. It was it was the hardest thing to know that I have because Kevin was still alive when Eric was diagnosed. So I had two boys that were going through the same treatment. And they were just, you know, I have to say both of them were amazing, though. They were so strong, and I I believe they did it for me. But it's like they tried their hardest not to be sick, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, they were just, you know, they were amazing. You know, they would they would really rally when they could, and you know, and if they couldn't, then you know they would be fine. But they would, they never complained. Not neither one of them complained. And um, you know, and Eric was going through his thing, and he was like, you know, when we were going through Kevin's funeral, Eric was feeling like crap, but he was there, and um. He, you know, he was just, he was trying to be supportive, but it was like, he just, you know, he, he was sick. He would, he felt like crap. And, um, and then it's like, like, I never was able to go, you know, go from Kevin to Eric with, with the pause in between. It was just continuous. So it was basically two years of a living hell, basically. And, um, you know, again, we have the great support system and 
you know, everybody was rallying and, you know, just trying to make the best of the best, the worst. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I felt like I should have had a named parking spot over there at City of Hope because I've spent most of my, I feel like most of my adult life there with um, my husband and the boys. And, and it just, I don't know. I, I, I was on autopilot all the time. I don't think I ever really um, relaxed. Yeah. I just, I just needed to be there for, for him. And, um, and then, um, again, just like Kevin, I refused to believe that this was going to happen again. You know, I just thought, how could, how could this happen again? Why would God do this to our family? And, um, and, it just, it was exhausting. Yeah. Um, and, and then part of me, it was like, I didn't want to tell people because I didn't want the pity. Yeah. I, you know, now, now it's like, I just felt everybody looked at me, us as that, oh, that poor family that gone through so much which is true I'm not saying it's not true but it's just yeah. I didn't want to be seen as that so I was always trying to keep the brave face I mean I was still going to work I was still doing my job I was still at the I never missed you know hospital visits I never missed um you know doctor visits or anything like that I was just you know marching through life and then I still have two others. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I didn't want, I never wanted them to feel like um, they were less because they're not sick. And I think I remember with Joey, when Eric passed, I just, I just, I just hugged him and begged him never to leave me. And like with Kevin, when Eric passed and, and Kevin, the night they passed, we had people over. And with Kevin, we did candlelight, candlelit, you know, we held candles and just was out in the backyard, just saying what we remembered about him and everything. And with Eric, we did um, floating candles and we did because he always, you know, we always called him Eric the Viking. And um, we got his girlfriend, who was amazing, too. Um, I was, my boys are very fortunate. They have amazing girlfriends. I mean, I, I feel very fortunate. I love their girlfriends. And um, she went and got a, a boat and, and drew it up, colored it up and everything like, like a Viking ship. And we um, stuck it in our pool and set it on fire like you do the Vikings and it was in honor of Eric and so we have some great memories but it's like it's not a replacement no no not at all 
I mean, it's like, I would not wish this on anybody and anybody that's going through it. I just, my heart goes out to you. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. Um, if it wasn't for my kids, I, I probably would be, yeah, I wouldn't be talking today. I would not be, I'd be just a mumbling fool. But, um, like I said, I have two other amazing kids that I love dearly. And they're just as important to me as my two that I've lost. Yeah. yeah. Joey, when um, when your second brother died, did you feel like you were grieving both of them at the same time? Um, in a way, yeah. Um, because Eric's like he's like my mom said he got diagnosed during kevin's um and so we had two brothers um battling that same cancer and getting the same treatment and everything and so when kevin passed away it was almost like okay like we still have something to do right now we still have a mission to complete we still need to get eric through this like we can't just yeah. Um, completely lose hope. And I felt like if I did show that, like if I was extremely sad or feeling like hopeless or something, that would start affecting Eric. So, you know, you try to like, again, just be confident for him um, and, and just try to make sure he knows that he's he's got it and that we're there for him and everything. And um. Yeah, that one was definitely tough too because I was really close with him too. I was I was close with all my siblings. I was the youngest, so I'm, I was the, definitely the floater going around to each one and everything. Um, but yeah, when when he started getting worse and worse, um, I don't know. You kind of just start just like thinking to yourself like not again not again not again like please no um like this can't actually be happening like I can't actually lose three of my family members to this um and then I just remember him the, his whole week was a very big ordeal too with the doctor because it was the same doctor as Kevin and I feel like he felt such a strong connection to my family and he refused to let himself believe that he was going to lose another one of our family members. So he was doing everything he could that last week telling us, no, he's fine. He's fine. And then we're getting something different from the ER doctor saying, no, this is it. And so we're like, which is it? Like, um, so that was just a, a big roller coaster. And I remember I'll never forget walking in the room after the doctor had said that there was it and Eric's just lying there and he's just like crying. He's saying, I'm sorry, Joey. <sighs> Those are definitely hard words to hear. Worse. Which like, um, 
but he he just and I felt bad because he was apologizing to me. When I know, like, he did everything he could. He fought so hard. And um, yeah, and then that happened again. So once that happened, it's it was almost like, okay, now I have two brothers and a dad that are gone. Um, and you try to go through this like process of grieving each one, but then like it's hard to not feel like some sort of guilt um, as you are, just because like sometimes you think like, oh, am I thinking about this brother too much or more than this brother? Or like um, I need to like give each one the equal amount of thought or like. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, definitely tough, um, how they all happen very close to each other. And yeah. also I'm young, like I'm still like figuring out my life and figuring out like what I want to do. And this all happens and you just go in a dark place and just lose all motivation and not have any urge to like go out and make new friends or anything because your two best friends were kind of just taken from you. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are some of the ways that you have honored or celebrated your family members who've died? Um, one big one that we do every year is uh, we have this Dowling Strong 55 fundraiser um, that we all started. Uh, it's a good way to kind of keep their memory alive and keep their name alive and everything. And it definitely brings all of us some joy, um, you know, getting together and remembering them. Um, we give a scholarship to a, a high school student going into his senior year to help pay for the high school tuition at the high school we all went to. Um, and that definitely brings a lot of happiness to us to be able to kind of help another family, but also in the name of our brothers and dad and yeah. It brings everybody together that love them and we all get to celebrate them in a happy place. And um because we we you know we have a party afterwards. So we play flag football and then we have a party. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it's amazing. You know, some years a lot of Eric's friends come, some years a lot of Kevin's friends come. Some, you know, we've this we're going on our fifth year. Oh wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we were, get, we're, we're in the planning stages for this one coming up and, and, you know, it's, it's a way of giving back. Um, they love their high school. They love football and, um, and, you know, we just thought this, this was something we could do to, in their memory. 
That's wonderful. And Joey, as you, I don't know if everyone else knows this, but I can see you as we're doing a video interview. And as you started to talk about it, you just got a big smile on your face <laughs> just right away. Yeah. So I could definitely tell that's a joyful event. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of our podcast, um, cumulative grief is what happens when we have one loss or death on top of another without the opportunity to process the emotions and heal before another one occurs, which is definitely what happened in your family. And I'm curious, what are your thoughts about cumulative grief? For me, it's just, it's all, it all rolls into one. I mean, as much as we want to keep it separate and, and deal with each one. I mean, we obviously didn't have time, mm -hmm. um, but it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. It's, you know, you're you know, you have all your different stages, but it's like, okay, which stage am I in? I've been, you know, I'm grieving for Tom. And then before I have a chance to finish, I've got to start worrying about Kevin and then, and then grieving for Kevin and then grieving for her. So it's like, I don't, I don't know if we were able to flow through like you're supposed to, per se. Yeah. yeah. It's just kind of, you know, hang on. And let you know, go for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. And with the cumulative grief, having three that had passed away, there's so many memories that come with each one. And there's, so that means there's a lot of different triggers, you know, throughout your day. You'd be doing something and then, I don't know, you see the number 55 or something it reminds you of my brothers and then you see like I don't know a fire truck going by and it reminds you of my dad and then it kind of like you're just bouncing off of different thoughts of thinking about each one and then um I don't know so there's just at first it feels really overwhelming because you're just like thinking about them all day long and mm -hmm. Because everything reminds you of them, especially with three being gone, everything is going to remind you of them. Um, but then, like, there's just little ways that you kind of get start getting used to, and different ways to deal with it and everything. And yeah, yeah, we've gotten really good about like remembering remember like talking about you know remember when Kevin did this or you know, oh gosh I can't remember remember Eric you know and um it is it's for me it's getting a little easier to do that you know we'll be out like you know I'll go with, to Joey's place and we'll be walking around and we'll say uh, you know it's like you know something comes up because like like Joey said Tom and I used to go to Santa Barbara a lot because we loved it up there and it's like to go up there, it's like, oh, I remember when we went and we went to this place and it was just, or even the silliness, mm -hmm. which there was a lot of, mm -hmm. and it was good. Yeah. So it's getting, you know, the memories are, are not as hard anymore. I mean, they, they're always welcomed, but they weren't, you know, now it's just, you know, 
like a pleasant smile. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. That was exactly my next question, because I know um, so many times, especially for people who are new, they want to know, does this get any easier over time? And so if somebody were to ask, does this get easier over time? What would you say? Well, I used to always say I'm okay until I'm not. Now it's like it's easier until it's not. Okay. Because, I mean, does it get easier? Sometimes. But there's a lot of times it's still really hard. And um, I mean, I, you know, I could have conversations about them, not shed a tear, just like happy to talk about them and everything. And then other times I am just a blubbering fool because I can't stop thinking, crying. So, it's, you know, I just kind of have gotten to where. I just let it go. I just let it roll through me and whatever, you know, whatever comes out, it comes out and I know I'll, I'll get out the other side. Okay. What about you, Joey? Do you think it gets easier over time? Um, I don't, I don't know if easier is the right word for it. Cause it's still hard. Um, you know, thinking about it is, always gonna feel hard I think but I just feel like there might be like at least with me there's different ways to figure out to like deal with that level of uh grief and the feelings that come up um like I said before like you you're not feeling so much so overwhelmed um as the years go by you kind of like smile at at some of the memories that you're thinking about and everything and like oh that was fun um and just like trying different ways to get through it and reading different things and different phrases that can help you and um i think that it would definitely take a lot a long time to be perfectly okay which is fine um it's just everybody wants to be perfectly fine immediately and you know you're not not have to deal with any of this stuff and not have to go through any of this um but you know we can't always have that we have to take these little steps and try to find ways to and find things that make us happy and enjoy our time here while we can yeah. I'm not sure perfectly fine is ever what happens. I think <laughs> <laughs> other other ways to deal or cope or be yeah. okay, but I don't think any of us are ever perfectly fine, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have a closing question for you both. What advice would you give to someone who is struggling right now after multiple losses and experiencing cumulative grief, whether it be from sudden loss or sudden and anticipated loss or any combination, what advice would you like to share with them? It's tough. It's, I guess my advice is to 
find someone to talk to. It doesn't have to be a therapist. It'd be a best friend. It could be, you know, your sister, your mother, or whoever, just open up, um, talk about it. And also don't try to, don't really put yourself in a position where you you are not giving yourself time to go through all the emotions. Okay. I mean, you need to, you need to, you need to basically do you, what works for you. How do you feel you can get through a day? Um, you know, I, I, um, I mean, it's hard because everybody, it, grief is so individualized. It's like my grief, the way I feel and the way I handle it is not necessarily the same way Joey can handle is handling it. You know, he has his different ways and um, you just have to really find what works for you and, and, and know that you're going to be okay. You will be okay. It's not going to be perfect, but you'll, you'll be okay. Okay. Joey. Um, similar to that is, yeah, there's, there's no right way to deal with it. Um, just kind of do with what works for you. And like, I don't have all the answers or anything like that. I don't know the perfect tricks or anything. And I just know like, there's just, just to keep trying, um, is, is really important and, and just finding ways to honor them and keep their memory alive. Um, that's something that definitely brings me comfort. Um, and just leaning on your support system too. Um, talk about it. Sometimes I'll even just feel weird about bringing them up in casual convo because I don't want to feel like, oh, he's talking about his deceased brothers again kind of thing. And But it, it was such a big part of my life and I have so many memories with them. Like it's just inevitable to come up in conversation and to, I don't know, not feel guilty about it or not feel bad about it and just find ways that find ways and things that just make you happy and bring you joy. That's wonderful words of wisdom from you both. So I cannot thank you enough for sharing such um, personal stories tonight and allowing yourself to be vulnerable um, for our listeners. So truly from the bottom of my heart, thank you both so much for, um, for sharing tonight. So such a pleasure. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Jennifer. Today, Betty and Joey shared with us their family story and the losses that have occurred that forever changed their family of six to a family of three. And they each described the different aspects of what stood out for them when it comes to cumulative grief. Betty noted her challenges connecting to her husband's grief while caring for her son, Kevin, and then the difficulty she had grieving for Kevin while caring for Eric until finally everything just rolled into one. 
Joey explained how the cumulative losses amplified the number of grief triggers that he encountered and that one trigger would resurface one memory that would lead to another memory and then another. As a result, early on, he found himself cascaded with the overwhelming memories of his dad and both of his brothers, constantly thinking about all of his cumulative losses all of the time. As we saw from Betty and Joey's experiences, whether the death occurs in a sudden or unexpected nature or expected, cumulative grief is emotionally draining and it intensifies complex emotions. In most circumstances, the biggest factor associated with cumulative grief is age, because as we get older, more people die in our world. However, this is definitely not the case when sudden or unexpected death is involved, because it can happen at any time in our life. I also want to mention that the experience of cumulative grief can also be heightened by non-death losses, including the loss of other relationships, finances, changes in our career, health problems, and life transitions. If you find yourself experiencing cumulative grief, it can be beneficial to your healing to take some time to grieve each of your losses separately. With that said, it goes without saying that some of the yearning, the pain, and the sadness will feel like a deep ball of emotions inseparable and unrelated to any specific loss. However, there will be unique memories or feelings connected to specific loved ones that you can process in grief. One of the techniques that I use with clients who are struggling with cumulative grief is to encourage them to have a separate place to grieve each death. Place can mean anything. This can be a geographic location, such as a favorite park, beach, bench, or even a couch or chair around the house. Go to that place to connect with each of your different loved ones. It's also helpful to have a special journal, a notebook, a file folder, or even a memory box that represents each of your loved ones that you are grieving, where you can write down your thoughts, memories, and process your sadness and feelings connected to each of your loved ones who's no longer with you. When you're out and about, keep some sticky notes or a yellow pad, and when thoughts come out, come up, specific to a person, write them down, and then you will now have a place to put these thoughts and memories respective to the loved ones you are grieving. This will help you go through and process the specific deaths that you are grieving. Now, Betty and Joey commented that on a whole, things are easier for them now and that they are healing even though the grief and the pain still exists. I mentioned in my interview that I was able to see Joey because we were face to face on video. And there was a huge smile that lit up in his face when he shared the annual tribute fundraiser that Betty, Joey, and his sister put on for a high, uh, to raise money for a high school football player. And that that helps keep the memories alive. And that these memories that surface all of the time are no longer as painful for them or as overwhelming. 
They worked so hard as a family to keep Tom and Kevin's and Eric's memories alive, but they still allow themselves to feel the grief as it comes. It seems unfathomable that one family can encounter the loss of so many of their loved ones. Unfortunately, Betty and Joey's cumulative loss parallels the experiences of so many others, which is why I was so grateful they were willing to share their story on this podcast today. I remember quite some time ago, I was working with a family in a very similar situation. And one of the family members stated, this is not fair. Didn't we earn a pass since this has already happened to us? And the unfortunate answer to that question is no. Death and loss, whether expected or unexpected, are always going to be part of our life. And I believe the key to helping us get through cumulative loss and cumulative grief are to understand how these multiple losses impact us, to give ourselves permission to feel and express these emotions, and to find a way to process these cumulative losses And most importantly, to continue to engage in life and keep loving throughout the entire process. It's so hard not to be overwhelmed by the cumulative grief that the Dowling family has experienced. As I listened to Betty and Joey share their stories in grief, I also noticed the continued reference to their family's strength and how they used one another to cope and get through each loss. Betty focused early on on caring for her four kids as a single mother after Tom's death, and the kids rallied around her. She made sure the family had private time where they could be together to grieve and learn to adapt. They brought lots of animals in their life. They pursued sports to honor their dad, and they grew stronger and bonded until her boys got sick and died, one right after another. Yet through everything they went through, they still continued to bond, to grieve, to care for one another, to remember, to honor, to thrive, to move towards healing through every loss they encountered, even through their darkest days. And I believe it was Joey who commented, they were dallying strong. Please stay tuned for my next podcast interview on July 19th. Thank you so much for joining today's episode of Untethered, Healing the Pain After a Sudden Death. To learn more about hope and guidance after a sudden or unexpected death, please visit www.therapyheals and sign up for my monthly newsletter, Guidance and Grief. Bye for now. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. For guidance and hope with unexpected or sudden death, please visit my website, www.therapyheals.com to learn more about the services we offer. If you would like to share your story on our podcast in service of helping others heal after a sudden or unexpected death, please email us at info at therapyheals.com.